Luke chapter 15, if you have your Bibles. Um, let me set it up a little bit and give you the backstory on it. I was going a whole different direction this week, and, um, and I, think, I think I'm still going to go that direction probably in the next week or two. Um, but I sat down Thursday, started trying to put together what I thought the Lord would have me to say today, and, and I, there's some things that happened this week, some conversations that I had. Um, that kind of drove me back to a very familiar passage of scripture, which is Luke chapter 15. I preach really hard against sin. You know that. If you've ever said, if you sit under my preaching for any amount of time, you know that we don't coddle sin. We don't, we don't water it down. We don't try to make less of it than it is. I preach really hard against sin. And um, I take a stand against cultural wickedness. And um, there's a lot of that going on around us. And um, I'm not going to back away or shy away. Culture can accept whatever they want to. It can be out of sync with God's word, and we're going to speak to that um, in 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 church. We're going we're going to condemn sin um, because sin is what condemned Christ to the cross of Calvary. It's it, you can't minimize the seriousness of sin without minimizing the significance of the price that Christ paid for it. So we're not going we're not going to move away from that. Um, I will admit that I get righteously angry sometimes about especially the cultural wickedness and even about the, the stuff that um, is being allowed and permitted and celebrated, tolerated, whatever word you want to use within the context of the body of Christ um, in some churches. It makes me angry. And I think it's okay to be righteously indignant, righteously angry about sin. But I had to watch myself personally. And, and some of the interaction I had this week with another gentleman, um, and I, rather than just correct him and rebuke him, what the Lord said to me is that what he just said, you're capable of and have been there. Because it's easy for me to, to, to kind of um, get off in the ditch too far, to go too far. And righteous anger, if righteous anger turns into hatred, it becomes unrighteous hate. And, um, and so I need reining in. I need sometimes to be, you know, we say this all the time, um, hate the sin, love the sinner. Hate the sin, love the sinner. I think, I think, even though the Bible said God's angry with the wicked every day, it's clear that God loves the wicked because if God didn't love the wicked, you and I wouldn't be saved. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were wicked. And so it, 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 if we're not careful, our hatred for sin can turn into hatred for the sinner. And even, we, even though we might not call it that, when we begin to wish things like um, they can just go to hell, um, and and the, 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 really the comment this week that kind of, it, it was, uh, I, I would never have said it and I didn't rebuke him for saying it because I know where that feeling comes from. He said, if them folks is going to be in hell, that's another reason for me not to go. And so, and, and that's, the, that's the ditch that I want to avoid. I want to stay in the middle and be, um, be truthful about sin but be gracious towards the sinner. Because um, that's how my salvation come to be, and that's how your salvation um, come to be. So, um, I and just thinking about that, and I, I I think back to this parable, to this passage of scripture all the time. Um, I, I I've kind of used it as a, um, I guess as a template for ministry. What my responsibility is um, towards the the people that are lost, and and how I, I how I'm called to to deal with that but uh, but Luke chapter 15 is one parable it's one long the whole the whole chapter is one parable 
that is expressed in three different ways. Now, if you have a study Bible and you look in the back at the parables of Jesus, it most often carries the title, The Parable of Lost Things. And then there's three different stories Jesus tells about things that are lost. And most of the time when we preach this, uh, most of the time when we think about this, most of the time when we talk about this, our focus is on the things that are lost. Um, I've preached the prodigal son story several times through my ministry, and we always focus on the prodigal son. We always focus on the lost thing in the story. And although there's an application to that, and we're going to talk about that some this morning, the focus of the parable is not on the thing that is lost. The focus of the parable is on um, the, the purpose of the parable is on the one that's finding that that's lost. In Luke chapter 15, we're gonna, I'm going to read this and, and preach it as I go, but Luke chapter 15, um, if you look at the context of this parable, you find it in verses 1 and 2. The Bible said, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. So in the context... The reason Jesus gave us this parable and these three stories in this parable is that they were religious people. They were scribes and Pharisees um, who were murmuring um, about him and about his association with publicans who were the tax collectors of the day and sinners. Jesus had a reputation. He gained a reputation among the religious crowd at least for being a friend for sinners. And they had problems with that. I'm just going to walk you through Luke's gospel really quick and show you a few places where this subject comes up. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, you see this verse that talks about a man named Levi. Um, if, if you read the list of disciples that Jesus called, sometimes you're going to see the name of a man named Matthew, and sometimes he's going to be called by another name, and that name is Levi. It's the same man. Um, this man, Levi, in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, um, the Bible says that after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi, that's Matthew, sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans, a whole bunch more tax collectors. These guys were Jews who collected taxes for the Romans. They were considered to be traitors, treasonous to their own nation, and the Jewish people hated them for that. So Levi made that feast in his own house, invited Jesus, and um, there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with him. But the scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answered, said, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. In Luke chapter 7, verse 34, um, Jesus was talking about the, re the, the rejection of, they were comparing Jesus and John the Baptist. They had criticisms about John the Baptist and they had criticisms against Jesus and Jesus responded to those criticisms and said uh, concerning himself, his reputation, he said, the son of man's come eating and drinking and you say, behold, a gluttonous man, a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. You, you don't, uh, Jesus was accusing them of going from one ditch to the other ditch. But this is the moniker that they hung on him. This is the, the reputation that he had gained, that he was a friend of publicans and sinners, and he didn't deny that. Um, he accepted that uh, characterization. Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 36, one of the Pharisees desired that he would eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house, sat down to eat meat, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, 
when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee, this religious elitist, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. So Jesus is, is using this parable in three stories to rebuke those who are self-righteous, who look down upon him for his cultivating relationships with people that they deem to be unworthy of cultivating a relationship with, people that they deem to be sinners. Now, I, I, let me just pause and say this. Jesus never compromised with sin. He never made excuses for it. He never celebrated it. He never accepted it. Um, he, he never watered down the truth whatsoever in order to reach a sinner. But he did develop relationships with them and, um, and, and, and was not afraid to bear the title of a friend of publicans and sinners because he had a purpose in his relationship. There was a purpose in his friendship. So he, he, he gave his parables both to rebuke the self-righteous Pharisees and I think to give us an example that we should follow him, um, that we should do as he has done. So let's read the first story in Luke chapter 15 verse 3. He spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. The first story is about the shepherd and his lost sheep. Now we don't know a whole lot about either one of those things because we don't live in a shepherd sheep society anymore. But know this, that Jesus is speaking to a group of people that knew a good bit about shepherding and sheep herding. I mean, they, uh, and about sheep themselves. If you've never read this book, I highly recommend it. A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. Um, 23rd Psalm is one of the most popular psalms in the Bible. We quote it often, and I will say that we probably understand very little about it because it is talking about a shepherd and his sheep, what sheep need and what shepherds do. And so in this parable, Jesus is talking to people who knew about sheep. We know very little about sheep. He explained some of it to us in John chapter 10. But when you talk about sheep, um, these are a few things that you can pick up from that book and that you can pick up from just a brief study. A sheep aren't very smart. They're pretty dumb, in fact, and they're, and they're sensually driz, driven in the sense that um, they put their head down and they follow their nose and they follow their taste buds and they take their eyes off of the shepherd. A sheep will graze with its head down for so long and go so far that he gets out of sight of the shepherd and cannot find his way back. Sheep aren't real smart. They're driven by their senses, not by good sense. Grazing with your head down, grazing without taking note of the surroundings that, that you're walking into, um, grazing without looking up and finding where the shepherd who is your security, who is the one who protects you and keeps you. And, and if they lose sight of the shepherd, a sheep, um, you can turn a dog loose and most of the time a dog will find his way home. Cats maybe too. There are a lot of animals that have a good sense of direction. You can drop them off and they'll pretty well get back. My understanding of a sheep is they don't have that capability. 
If a sheep gets lost, they may know they're lost, but they ain't have a clue how to get home. And in fact, most of the time what they would do is just wander further away from the shepherd because they're so sensually driven. So if they lose sight of the shepherd, they may realize that they're lost but have no idea about how to find the way home. So let me say this about sheep. We all are sheep. And, and Isaiah chapter 53 says that we all like sheep have gone astray. What does that mean? It means that we have a tendency sometimes in our life just to put our head down and graze. Just to put our head down and be driven by our flesh. Just to put our head down and if it smells good, tastes good, looks good, we go that direction. And, and, and without realizing it sometimes, even accidentally, we just kind of lose our connection with our shepherd. We lose sight of the shepherd. And a lot of times we don't know how we lost it, how we got off track, or how to get back um, to where we need to be. We're capable of that kind of lostness. And that's true even of somebody that's been saved. Um, that, we, that we can drift away without really ever knowing how or why we drifted away and have a hard time coming back. But about shepherds, and Jesus told us some of this in John chapter 10. Shepherds know how many sheep they have. They number their flock. Now, I, I, I'm not a head counter. I don't count heads. So I have a hard time, even on Sunday mornings, figuring out who's here or not. That's going to get harder for me with two services. I already have trouble. I've sent texts to people say, I missed you this morning. They say, we're well, sitting right there. And then I feel bad because I missed them. I don't count heads. But if I really wanted to get an accurate representation of how many sheep's in my fold, I'd count them every week. I'd know how many there are and know if one was missing. And then determine which one was missing and then go after that one. So when you talk about parables, they know their sheep. They know how many sheep. Jesus said, if, if, you, if any one of you men had a hundred sheep, you know how many there are. And you did a head count, and there was 99 sheep present. You know that one sheep is missing. And what man of you is not going to leave that 99 safely where they are and go after that one and search for him until you find him? So shepherds number their flock. They know when one is missing, and they search for it until they find it. Jesus called himself in John chapter 10 the good shepherd. And what did he say? He said, I know my sheep. And they know my voice. And I call them by name. And they follow me. So Jesus is the good shepherd. What does he do? He looks for lost sheep. He, he, he searches for lost sheep. He calls them by name. He rejoices when he finds it. He lifts it on his shoulders and he carries it home. And then he has a party. Rejoicing that the one that has been lost has now been found. And then the second story is in Luke chapter 15 beginning in verse 8. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? When she hath found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Silver, a coin. I gave the title to this lady because this is what it says about her. She swept the house. She shined the light. She searched until she found it. The sweeper and her lost silver. This is a dime. Here's, some, here, here's just a, a few thoughts about I don't want to get bogged down in the lost things because that ain't what it's about, I don't believe. This dime don't even really know it's a dime. 
It doesn't know its value. If you were to drop it out of your pocket and it rolled under one of those pews, the dime don't know that it's lost. You know that it's lost, but the dime don't know that it's lost. Um, it doesn't know its value. The dime ain't going. The dime's not going to crawl out from under that pew into the aisle and look around and say, "Where am I?" It's clueless. It's clueless about what it is. It's clueless about the value that it has. It's clueless whether it has been lost or found. When it's found, there's some things that change. But 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 a dime has no purpose until it is found. We live in a world where there are a lot of people that don't know that they have any value, don't know how they have any purpose, even though they were created in the image of God. <clears throat> I think we can say too much about this, but I do want to say this. Every person, why do we believe in the sanctity of human life? Why do we believe that life begins at conception and is sacred from that moment forward? Why do we believe, in, why are we pro-life? We believe that human life uh, is intrinsically valuable, that it has inherent value, that it doesn't matter whether it's black or white or red or purple or rich or poor, <clears throat> what country it was from. Um, we don't, we don't even, we're not even concerned about the circumstances regarding its conception. What we believe is that human life is different from all other life on the planet because human life was created in the image of God. That it, has the, that it has the image of God stamped in it, and therefore it has intrinsic, inherent value. But here's the truth is there's a lot of people in the world that don't know that. There's a lot of people in the world that don't understand that they have value. They don't know that they were created in the image of God. They don't know what their purpose is. They don't know that they're lost and need to be found. They don't know that until they are found, then their value will never be known to the world. Their purpose will never be known to the world. They are depending on somebody to find them, bring them to a place where they can be useful and valued in this world that it lives in. Now, I, I, I'm not going to make too much of this, but this coin is lost in this lady's house. And I think this may have some, some particular implications for the scribes and Pharisees that are criticizing Jesus because they're supposed to be the ones that, that, that know God. This is a religious crowd. This is a spiritual crowd. Um, these are people that had the oracles of God. These are the people who knew um, what God had promised and, and, and supposedly how they were created and why they were created. They were, they were lost in the house. They were lost in Judaism. They were lost uh, in religion. They were lost in self-righteousness and they didn't even realize their lostness. And I think that's true sometimes in the, in the, in the context of a church, especially people that were just born and raised in the church. And they think just because they're born and raised in the church um, that they're fulfilling their purpose, that they, that they know their value, that they're not lost, and they've never submitted themselves to Christ. You know what the Pharisees and the scribes needed? They needed to realize that without Christ they had no purpose, they had no value. Even though his image might be stamped in them, they were lost in the house. Every one of us in this room came to that place in our life. I can tell you my life... I, I, I said it in the early service, I'm going to say it again. When I came to Jesus that night, and you've heard me tell my, say my, give, give you my testimony over and over. That's one, Apostle Paul did it too, so if you criticize me, you criticize him. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the first words out of my mouth that night. Where God, my life is a train wreck. It's a mess. And I don't know how to fix it. I don't, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. 
I, 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 was as, I felt as worthless and as lost and as purposeless as I'd ever felt in my life. That was a good place for me to be. Because I realized what was missing in my life is for Christ to take up his residence in me. The, the scribes and Pharisees needed a revelation of themselves without Jesus. The, 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 the silver needs a revelation of its, of its purpose and value until it's, it's found. It's worthless until it's found. So this lady who lost this silver, she, she, she lit a candle. She swept the house. And I like the word diligently. She sought diligently until she found it. She wouldn't quit. Now, I quit looking for stuff sometimes. Y'all ever quit? I just quit. I mean, I'm like, I don't know where it's at. And usually when I quit looking for it is when I find it. <laughs> just quit looking for it. It shows up. Um, this woman knew the value of that coin. She knew that that coin was lost. She would not stop looking until she found it. She shined the light, swept the house, sought diligently until she found it. Now, the Holy Spirit ain't a she. But the Holy Spirit's a good sweeper. And a good shiner. And a good seeker. He sought me. He shined the light into my life he showed me that I was lost he showed me that I was not living up to God's purposes for my life that I was not a good image bearer because I had no purpose in this world um, he, he, he shined into the darkness he swept the dirt away he rejoices that he found us we didn't find him we didn't find him he found us he searched us out until we were found. Let's read the third and final story. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. This is probably the most familiar of the three. He said, A certain man hath two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And verse 17 is, a, is, is the turning point of the parable. The Bible says, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's house have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. And had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now the elder son is an important part of this story because I think the, I know the scribes and Pharisees knew that when he started talking about the elder son that he was talking about them. I think when I read this story and I, and I begin to get hostile towards sinners that I kind of fit the bill of the elder too. Verse 25 says, Now his elder son was in the field and he came and drew nigh to the house and heard music and dancing and called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meat, it was good that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. <clears throat> so I'm not, I don't, I don't think everything has to be alliterated, but I was, I, as I was working through this, it was, pretty, it, it was pretty easy to understand that these three stories are about a shepherd and sheep and about a woman who had lost silver, and the Bible said that she swept and she shined and she sought. So there are a bunch of S's in there. But when I, when I initially was thinking about this next point, I thought this is a father and a son. But I wanted to alliterate it. So I got down my little thesaurus and looked up the word father. I'm looking for an S word. That, and I didn't think of anything just thinking myself. But the thesaurus, the first word in the line was sire. And I thought, yeah, that ain't a good word. Not for the father. But then I got down my Webster's Dictionary and looked at what a sire is. And, it's, and it has several definitions. And one is it's, it's the male side of a family unit. It is literally the one who begot the one. It, you look in the Old Testament, it always talks about the, and this man begot this son and this daughter. Begot is always given to the father or the sire. That's what the word sire means. It's also a term that's used... It's, it's a term of respect. It's a term um, of authority. It's, it's a term um, that literally is, is the same thing as your majesty. If you've ever watched any of those old historical documentaries, sometimes in saying your majesty, they say sire. It's just, a, it's just a term that recognizes that the man that I'm speaking to is majestic, that he has authority, that he's worthy of my respect, and I should treat him. And so, so I think sire is a good term to describe the father in this story. It's also a good term to describe our heavenly father that I think is, is, is pictured in this story. About the son, about... The son knew who his dad was. Now, you could say, you can't make a blanket statement and say every son knows who his daddy is, but... This son knew who his daddy was, and this son knew his value. In fact, he went and demanded of his daddy that you give me what I'm worth, that you give me my portion of, who you, of what you have because that's what I'm worth. He knew who his dad was. He knew who his father was. Um, he knew his worth, and he had the freedom to go to his dad and say, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be here anymore. I want what you owe me, and I want to go and do my own thing. The prodigal son chose to walk away. He chose to walk away. 
He made a willful decision to walk away from his father's house. And he had a good time for a little while. And, 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 and when he found himself having gone through everything that his father had given him, he had that come to himself moment. And realized that he had nothing left and that even the servants in his father's house had it better than he had. He knew he was lost. He knew he had done the wrong thing. He, he knew the way home. That the whole business of repentance is in that when he came to himself, he's like, I've done the wrong thing. I've gone the wrong way. I've walked contrary to the one who had given me everything I need, and uh, I'm not worthy anymore to be called his son, but I will gladly step in and become his servant. I guess this story means so much to me because I see so much of me in it. I knew better than to do the things that I did. To go to the places that I went. To say the things that I said. Because I was raised better. You've heard me say it before. I never, my daddy, I've never, he's, he, he's never tasted alcohol. He took one puff off a cigarette and said it like choked him to death. <laughs> never, ever, ever have I heard him say a curse word or, or hear anybody else say he said a curse word. He's never been unfaithful to my mom. He's always been faithful for as long as I've been alive unto the church. He's a good daddy. He deserved my respect. And and his authority over my life was was exercised for nothing but my good. But I walked away from it. And I, I won't share my testimony again. You heard it over and over again. But that, I, that night when I was humiliated beyond, I mean, I feel this guy. He's a Jew in a hog pen. He's a Jew boy in a far country in a hog pen, wishing they left him something to eat. And I felt that kind of humiliation that night. And, and, and after I talked my wife into not throwing me out, I said, I got to go see my daddy. And my daddy got up from the table that night and embraced me. He knew what had happened. We lived in a small town. He'd heard. He he knew I'd been in rebellion for years. But he wrapped his arms around me and loved me. And he gave me a good picture in that very moment of what the Heavenly Father looks like and how the heavenly father how the prodigal's father responded to him now um i wish i could say that i'd only done that one time in my life but there's been a bunch of times that i've walked in willful disobedience against god i've willingly done what i knew he told me not to do and reap the consequences of it and felt lower than a snake's belly because of it and thought to myself, I'm not worthy anymore. To, I'm not worthy anymore to be called a son of God. But when you have that come to yourself moment, when you have that moment where you realize, hey, this is this is crazy. I need to go home. The father will meet you just like this father met his son. Now, the sheep wandered away accidentally. 
probably knew it was lost but don't know the way home. So the shepherd runs. All the sheep's got to do is submit to him. He doesn't make him walk home, he carries him home. The silver don't know it's lost, don't know its value, don't, don't know how to find itself at all. But the Holy Spirit goes to work and searches until it finds it and restores it to a place where it does know that it has purpose and value. Or at least it has purpose and value. He doesn't chase the sun. Now, I've had to make this, I've used this as kind of a template of ministry. There are people, I think, that just accidentally go astray. Honestly, they don't mean to. It ain't like they're looking to go into rebellion. They just kind of put their head down and become sensually driven. And they, go, they start chasing the things of the world. They don't realize that in doing so, they've drifted away from the safety of the fold. They've drifted out of sight of the shepherd. You know, I think it's our responsibility to go after them folks and, and have a conversation with them, a loving conversation, and, and, and do our very best to help them get back where they need to be. There are folks in this world that are just as lost as they can be, and they don't know that they're lost. Um, I've said this before, and, and I need to remind myself of this often. Sometimes I expect lost people to act like saved people, and that ain't going to happen. Lost people are going to act like lost people. They don't know they're lost. They don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit in them. Most of them don't know the Word of God in a way that helps them um, even, even understand their value and their purpose in this life. It's our responsibility to go after those folks. To let the Holy Spirit use us to shine the light, to sweep the dirt, to search diligently until we find them. But then there's also these people, and I've, I've had to apply this in ministry sometimes. You can go talk to some folks sometimes, and they'll say, I know I'm not where I need to be. I, I get it. I know I'm outside of the will of God. I know, and, and listen, there ain't nothing I can do. The Father did, even though the Father is worthy of respect, he's worthy, he deserves respect, uh, he has all authority in heaven and in earth, he gives us from day one, God has given to us free will. He's given us the ability to make our own choices, even choices that are outside of his will. He'll let us walk away. But if we know that we have walked away and we know that we are lost and we know the way home, um, he doesn't pursue us. He just waits and watches. Waits and watches. Why? You say he don't care. Maybe he don't care. Yeah, he does care. He understands this. The consequences of sin are enough to get our attention. The consequences of sin are enough to get our attention. And, and if we have that come to ourself moment in the midst of our sin and recognize who the Father is and what the Father is capable of doing for us, we'll do like the prodigal son. We'll turn our face and go toward home. But listen, God waits and watches. Uh, he doesn't override our will. He waits and watches. But I love this part of the parable because the Bible says uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't sitting on the porch saying, there comes that old rebel. I ain't letting him back in. Here comes that old rebel. I hope, I hope he knows he's not going to get anything else from me because I done gave him everything that I had. He didn't sit on the porch and think about uh, everything that his son had done and how he had been a shame and reproach to the family. The Bible says when the father saw the son uh, a long way off that he ran to him, did not hold his sin against him, held himself against him, literally embraced him, Put a robe on him to cover up his filthiness. Put a ring of authority back on his finger. Put shoes on his feet and said, Now, let's go have a party because my son that was lost has come home. He was dead to me, but now he's alive. I think God is a good, good father. 
Sometimes he loves us enough just to let us go. Do our thing. Reap the consequences of our rebellion. But, but, but listen, coming home to him is always going to be more appealing to what the world offers in the end. And he just waits and watches. He won't override our will. But he'll run to us with love when we turn to him. He restores us when we choose repentance. So, the point of this parable is, is not really about the lost things. It's about the one that's looking for the lost things. The point of this parable, the point that Jesus is trying to make is, I came to this world to seek the lost. I came to this world to seek the lost. The lost sheep, the lost silver, the lost sons. I came to, my purpose in this world is to seek and to save that which was lost. The purpose of the parable is that Jesus seeks the lost until he finds the lost. And when he finds the lost, he restores the lost. And you might even say in this parable that he's defending them. Not defending their sin, but defending the fact that they needed him. They might not know they needed him, but they needed him. And he defends them in the sense that this is why I'm here. He defended it in the sense that he's telling the scribes and Pharisees, this is my purpose, and if it's my purpose, it ought to be your purpose. Our purpose is not to exclude people from the kingdom. Our, people, our purpose is to try to get people to enter the kingdom by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So lost is a title every person in this room has wore at one time or more times in our life. Amen. Every one of us has worn the title lost. And I'm going to tell you, if Jesus didn't come to seek and save the lost, we would have never been saved. If he didn't go looking for me, if he didn't search diligent for me, if he didn't run to me when I started turning to him, I'd never been found. Neither would you. We've all wore that title of being lost, lost like silver. There was a time in our life that we may not have known that we were lost. We may not have known how valuable we were. We did not know how we could be found. But thank God the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. What's the Holy Spirit doing this morning? He's shining the light in this place. He's taking the word of God and shining the light. He's sweeping away the dirt of our life. The Holy Spirit um, is, is, one guy called him, and this is not a derogatory term, he called the Holy Spirit the hound of heaven. He's looking for those lost coins, for, those, for that silver that doesn't know it has value and doesn't know it, have, doesn't know it has purpose, doesn't know the image of God is stamped in it. There was a time in our life when the Holy Spirit shined the light into our darkness, exposed the dirt, swept our hearts bare before Him, and revealed our value and purpose, restored us to a place. The Bible said there's joy in heaven when one of them's found. Lost is a title that we've all worn, like lost sheep. We easily, it's easy. I dare say everybody in this room has done it on more than one occasion. You just kind of kick it in neutral. You put your head down. You know, there's a popular saying, now just follow your heart. No, that's dangerous. (laughs) Your heart's desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says. And usually when we mean, when we say follow your heart, we're talking about, you know, you, you Whatever you, what's your, what's your desires? And, and, and we can be sensually driven. That smells good. That tastes good. That looks good. Let me go that way. And pretty soon we've lost sight of the shepherd. We got bogged down in things. And, 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 and suddenly we realize that we're not where we used to be. We're not who we used to be. I'm thankful that Jesus knows us. 
and those we miss and calls us, searches for us. All we have to do is submit to him. Let him carry us home. Sometimes in church services you might feel the Holy Spirit convicting and convincing and drawing you. And I've heard people say this all my ministry. I stuck my foot in the aisle and before I knew what was happening I was on the altar. <laughs> Maybe that's happened to you before. I just You just have an overwhelming sense that God is speaking to you and dealing with you and you step one foot in the aisle next thing you know you're on your face on an altar somewhere. What happened? He carried you. He carried you. You took a step of faith and he carried you. You submitted to him and he carried you. Jesus is the good shepherd. And there have been times in all of our life when we've been like that lost son. I'm going to do things my way. Even though it's disobedient. Even though it's rebellious. Even though I know who you are. And that you deserve respect. And that you have authority and that you've been good to me and that I have all I need in you I'm going to go do my thing and then we eat the fruit of our own doings the consequences of our own sin and we think God won't take us back and we think I've done too much to be called a son anymore That's repentance in our heart when we, when we reach that place. And I promise you, I, I think Third Day's got a song. It might not be Third Day. I remember it from years ago. If you're a thousand steps away from God, you take one, he'll take 999. He might just be waiting on you. Waiting and watching. But he'll, he'll do for you what he did for the lost son. Put a robe on you. Cover your nakedness. Cover your sin. Cover your shame. Give you back your authority. The ring, is a, that's a signal. That's a, that's a sign of authority. That's a signet. That says you're part of the family. You, you might have wasted the inheritance, but I'm giving it back to you. Putting shoes on your feet. I'm glad the Heavenly Father don't hold our sin against us. He just restores us by His grace. I'm going to ask Christy and the musicians to come. There's a song in the hymn book. And I don't know that we've ever sang it before. But um, it's actually, I've heard it sang before, but I don't know that I could sing it for you, so I'm not going to try to. <clears throat> it's just called, and this is a strange, it might be a strange title for a hymn to us, but I think it captures the heart of this whole parable. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Let me just read to you three verses of that song. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me. Foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Jesus, what a strength and weakness. Let me hide myself in him. Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing. He, my strength, my victory wins. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end.
Jesus, I do now receive him. More than all in him I find. He hath granted me forgiveness. I am his and he is mine. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Jesus is the seeker, the finder, and the restorer of lost things. His purpose in this world still today is to seek and save that which is lost. And, and listen, what he has done for us, he has, he has called us to be to others. That old demon-possessed man who had the legion of demons, I know I call his name often. He reminds me of me too. Because nobody, nobody knew what to do with me either. Locking me up didn't seem to work in times past. I mean, that, 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 my daddy tried to beat it out of me. It didn't work. Jesus, within a, within a few words, that all that man knew was that he just saw a man calm the sea. That demon ran to Jesus. And the Bible said he worshipped him. He fell at his feet and worshipped him. But then those demons began to speak forth. And Jesus commanded them to come out of him. And, and the Bible, Mark records it like this. The next thing you see is that this man who was naked and had been literally a maniac is sitting and clothed in his right mind. And, and, and that demon-possessed man said, Jesus, I want to go wherever you go. I, I want to follow you. Jesus said, now go, go back to where you came from and tell them what I've done in your life. And hey, that's what he's called all of us to do. I posted that list in... 1 Corinthians chapter 6 earlier this week where Paul gave a list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And homosexuality was listed in that. But there's also a whole bunch of other sins listed. Won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to tell you something. My, I was guilty of more than one offense in that list. I was guilty of more than one offense on multiple occasions in that passage of scripture. And if the Lord Jesus Christ had not sought for me and found me and restored me, my name would still be on that list. The 11th verse says, And such were some of you, but you're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of Jesus. That's me and that's you. And that's what he's called us to do is to go into the world and find those same kind of people that were like me and you. Lost sheep, lost silver, lost sons. Not get angry and hate them. Build relationships. Cultivate. Sow seed into their life. Let them see you. Let them see me in you. So that they can be found. So there's something in this parable for all of us this morning. Either we're, something, either we're one of them lost things need to be found. Or we're going to let Jesus use us to be his vessel in seeking and saving. Not that we save anybody, but we seek them and find them and bring them to Jesus. Let's stand. Lord, I thank you for your word. Sometimes I just need a refresher.
need to be pulled back to the middle of the road. And I, I make some hard stands against sin and, and the wickedness of our culture bothers me and makes me angry. But the reality is these people are lost. They're lost. And your word says that it's not your will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. You, you, you would never say to anybody that you want them to go to hell. You take no pleasure when the wicked die. Your pleasure comes when the wicked repent. And so help us, Lord, to have the kind of heart that you have, the kind of heart that you had towards us. Help us to have that heart towards others. Have your way in this invitation. Somebody here is lost. Maybe they identified with some of these things this morning. May today be their day that they're found. We'll rejoice with them as all heaven will. Have your will in your way in Jesus' name. Amen.